It was ugly from jump, and it's getting uglier. Talking about the involuntary or voluntary manslaughter charges against uh, the parents of Ethan Crumbly, the confessed and now convicted Oxford shooter. His sentencing is coming up. Their trials are coming up. They're going to be split. And now we have charges that the gag order has been violated on both sides, that there are attempts to influence the jury, perhaps pollute the jury pool, um, charges that they are misleading the public, uh, that rights have been violated. What does it all mean? Could it jeopardize this trial? Are they already putting together their appeals? And we haven't even heard any opening statements yet. Todd Flood is uh, the managing partner of Flood Law, and he joins us live this morning. Todd, good morning. Good morning, Guy. Good morning. So let's let's jump back to Sunday when Karen McDonald p- appeared on Spotlight on the News with Chuck Stokes on Channel 7. And she said, well, I can't comment on the case, but I'll tell you that we don't charge cases that we don't believe we can prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, the the Crumbly attorneys have said that that violated the <laughs> violated the gag order. Did that cross the line? It's kind of stating the obvious, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's uh, saying the water's wet. That she just simply said what her standard is for charging the case, but I think everyone knows that. And she, uh, I don't think she rang the bell to the extent that she was commenting on evidence or something that wasn't already in public. Um, you, you know, it, it's, it's such a difficult line, um, having been in that the, that chair. Um, you're better off just saying no comment. I can't get into it. That's not something I can talk about. Uh, but at the end of the day, <clears throat> there wasn't anything there that I think was a foul um, that's that's going to have the judge in the show cause motion do anything that would uh, sanction the prosecutor because it is obvious, right? I don't charge the case unless I can prove it. I mean, I think, uh, Todd, that's kind of a generic term that all prosecutors use. I've heard several prosecutors say that. Yes. (laughs) You know, so I I don't see how how that uh, became such an issue. No, I I really don't see it as being a big issue. Um, I I think what the judges in the defense, to the defense's credit earlier on, what what was going on was evidence that's not necessarily put into the public eye. That's what you have to be really careful as a prosecutor. Prosecutors talk about the case, and if they they spill something out into the public that isn't – isn't already in the public domain, uh, that's a real big problem. That can be a taboo. Uh, in this case, you know, this is really, I don't think, uh, a foul of what uh, the prosecutorial ethic uh, uh, recommendations are from, you know, what, what she can't do or can do. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't see the judge doing a sanction here, um, uh, really. Todd, the shooter's lawyer also <laughs> jumping in saying or accusing the mom's lawyer of spreading inaccurate, misleading and prejudicial information about the shooter three weeks before his sentencing. Basically, they put it out there that he, he didn't ask for help when he did ask for help. Yeah, so <clears throat> there was a comment that was made to the forensic psychiatrist in the interview um, of 
uh, based on the discovery that came through. And <clears throat> allegedly, and I haven't seen the document, it's not, it's not in our case, hasn't come to our case yet, but uh, um, <clears throat> allegedly the shooter says to the forensic therapist in the, ba uh, in the interview that he didn't say, I, I asked my parents for help. However, it came out in evidence that the shooter did ask for help. Uh, at least he told his friend in a text message. That was public knowledge. Uh, the text messages did come out um, from the shooter. And it was um, either confirmed or not. I, I believe it was confirmed. But at the end of the day, there's conflicting information, one from a forensic interview potentially and another where the shooter himself in his own words types out the text message to a friend i i asked i asked my parents for help and i think we talked about that in the evidence that came through um at, a, at another time but um i don't see where they were spreading you know it, is it the prosecution or the defense spreading false rumors i, I you know all this stuff will be ferreted out in a trial in a courtroom. So, um, with the parents, uh, so I don't, you know, again, interesting. I think it's, uh, but that who, didn't need to be released. Play. Right. Todd. I mean, she, she came out and said, well, he, he never asked for therapy and it was apparently something she discovered in a file that she thought was new, but didn't she violate the gag order by releasing that to the public? And isn't to some extent that pre prejudicial ahead of jury selection. It can be, yeah. You know, it can be. Uh, uh, here, here. let's just cut to the chase. Can this, in a jury selection, you know, think about this case, is, is, is guy, or everybody, when you try to pick a jury, what juror hasn't already heard about this case? You got to, you know, so every juror that gets into the veneer is going to say, yep, I heard about it. Okay, then, in selecting a juror, before you tell us what you heard, right, publicly, we got to isolate you, all right, tell us what you heard, you know, and then you have to determine, can you make up your mind based on the evidence in this courtroom and what comes in this courtroom, or have you already made up your mind? Are you someone that is going to believe everything you heard in the paper, read in the paper, or on the news, or whatever else? Can you set all that aside and form your opinion based on just the facts and evidence that come into this case. And that's going to be a difficult process, right? Um, but it's, uh, I shouldn't say difficult. It's going to just take a long time. And they'll get 12 jurors. They'll get 12 jurors um, to pick. But you could see people teeing this up to try to make it so what that it is um, impossible to pick a jury one way or the other. Uh, I think ultimately we will, though. That, that there will be a jury pick. Well, let's then clear the, the dust and, and get on with it. Uh, Todd, thanks for your insights on this. Uh, it, it sounds like they keep trying to knock it off the rails, but the, the train will keep on rolling. Thanks for your time, let's my friend. It does. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Be right. well. Take care. Meantime, Jamie Lloyd, uh, the Michigan State Board of Education earlier this week dismissed a school safety proposal. Remember in the wake of Oxford, we mm -hmm. There were calls for greater training of administrators, greater threat assessment training for educators, 
uh, they wanted to make sure that there was a more clearly defined student code of conduct and also accountability that perhaps to strip away some of the liability protections, not unlike what we have done for child sexual assault, saying you're a mandatory reporter. Mm -hmm. To do the same thing with guns, that there are certain thresholds where you must report this to the principal. Well, the proposal that Nikki Snyder, a Republican on the State Board of Education, put out there basically was, for the moment, thrown out on Tuesday. Um, or, or at least it is. it has to some degree been derailed or kicked down the road to the future. Um, and basically what the State Board of Ed said was, we're, we're not saying that we're voting this down. And we're not saying that we're not going to do anything with it. We're saying we need more time. We need to make sure there is capacity to get to the program. Well, you've got the Guidepost Solutions Report. You've got all the police information. You have all the discovery. You've probably got enough information there that you could move forward. Exactly. How many more kids got to die? Yeah. And I understand that at the state board, they want to be deliberate and they want to be methodical with this. Um Nikki Snyder's running for the U.S. Senate. Love to talk with her about this, and we can. We were were you know drinking from the fire hose this week, but um, I th- I thought that was interesting that they they had an opportunity to move this forward or at least to get the. You can slow the process, but for now they've stopped it, and that just doesn't make I understand that. a lot of sense. No. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Rabbi Mark Miller at six forty nine. He's senior rabbi at Temple Bethel about the. those that support Israel, those that were rallying against anti-Semitism, that the bus drivers staged a wildcat strike and left them on the tarmac. What's going to be done about it? Should there be a civil rights investigation, perhaps? There has been in other cases. Why not this one? We'll talk to the good rabbi next on JR Morning.